0: Bonjour and bienvenue. Hello and welcome to the Good Life France podcast. Everything you want to know about France and more, much more. Though I was born in the UK, I now live in the far north of France in the department known as Pas-de-Calais which roughly translates as the Pass of Calais or the Strait of Calais. The Strait meaning a narrow passage of water. In this case, referring to the English Channel, which separates France and the UK. At its narrowest point, it's just 21 miles between the two coastlines. But I have to tell you, those few miles don't really mean anything. Even at that distance, these two countries are a world apart. And my passion is to explore the culture, history, regions, food, and wine of my new home and share with you what I find together with my podcast partner, Olivier
1: Geoffrey. I'm here. Hello. Bonjour, bonjour. I'm Olivier, uh, but you can call me Oli. I am a Frenchie from the west of France, now in England, but soon to be returning to France to live in the south where the sun shines at last and the food is formidable, which is French for absolutely delicious. So we will be coming to you from the north and the south very soon in this podcast. Now let's get down to business. What are we going to be talking about today, Janine?
0: Well, I thought it would be great to chat about one of France's most iconic landmarks. It's a world record breaker. It's a place that was conceived with the help of an angel who had a pointy finger. It's a building that seems to defy gravity and a site that is so wondrous that it has inspired artists, musicians, and writers for centuries, and it's influenced many films, including The Lord of the Rings. Can you guess where I'm talking about?
1: Well, I can, and I think that some people will definitely know it from uh, the hint about the angel with a pointy finger. It must be Mont Saint-Michel in Normandy, yes?
0: (laughs) Yes, you're right. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a giveaway, that one. I'm not sure there are many buildings that have come about because of an angel with a pointy finger. But today, we're going to be talking about the majestic marvel called Mont-Saint-Michel.
1: The Good Life France podcast. Everything you want to know about France and more with Janine Marsh and Olivier Joffrey.
0: Mont-Saint-Michel is one of those places that, although its wiggly cobbled streets might be covered by many, many visitors, the magic still shines through. But first let's talk about where Mont Saint-Michel is.
1: Well this tiny town sits on a granite island cradled between the coast of Brittany and Normandy. Some people think it is in Brittany but it is actually in Normandy, I'm afraid, in the Manche department. You can see it from miles around and from far away it looks like a bit uh, like a uh, helter Victor Hugo, the great French writer, called it the Pyramid of the Seas and you can really see what it means when you view it from a distance. It's one of the wonders of the world and has uh, attracted hordes of tourists since the Middle Ages and that is how it is a world record breaker. There are only 30 people living on the island but uh, there are about 100,000 visitors per year per inhabitant which is a world record.
0: It's incredible, isn't it? I've been one of those visitors. I took my dad there and he really didn't want to go. He really moaned the whole way there in the car. But I am extremely stubborn when I want to be and I insisted we go. I've been there before, you see, so I knew what we could find when we got there. So we did arrive and we walked through the big stone arch, which forms the entry to the town. And my dad just went really quiet He stood there open-mouthed at the sight of this incredible island of monuments, and we made our way up a cobbled hill. We walked past chapels and many souvenir shops and cafes in medieval buildings. And like I said, I'd been there before, but I'd never been up the stairs to the abbey, and I really wanted to do that. But first, we had to have lunch. That was my dad, lunch. Very important. Loved French lunches. Who doesn't? So we stopped at a restaurant which had an outdoor terrace looking out over the bay and the tide, which was far, far down below us. And as we sat there, it was just, just one of those beautiful days. We had a big steaming bowl of mussels. And even now, even though it's 15 years ago, if I shut my eyes, I can still smell them. You know, that sort of garlic and wine and cream mixed with the scent of the salty sea. And then we had cheese and you always have cheese before dessert in France. That's just how it is. And Normandy has some of the most amazing cheeses. There was a ripe brie, a smelly camembert, livero, pungent Pont leveque heart-shaped Neuf Châtel. Love those cheeses. And pavé doge. Can you smell them, Ollie? Yes, actually. (laughs) We didn't know what to choose, and the waiter didn't help because, you know, we said, Oh, what's this? And what's this? My dad, What's that one? What's that one? And the waiter was like, I'm going to do my French voice now, Ollie. Sorry about this. This one comes from a dairy farm in a sleepy village amongst the rolling hills. (laughs) Très bien, très bien. Uh, this one is the most creamy and delectable <laughs> cheese in the world, and uh, flavored with a little Calvados. This one tastes of heaven. It's funky and delicious. <laughs>
1: <laughs> not bad, not bad. But uh, the question is, how did you choose the cheese? I mean, how you uh, can choose from such an amazing display? It's impossible, right?
0: It is impossible, and. But I know how to be polite in France. You have to choose just a a few slivers from the cheese bowl. But my dad was like, I have a bit of everything. But that really made the way to laugh. So he did actually give my dad a bit of everything. Seven cheeses, I think it was. Maybe nine, actually. And my dad ate them all loved them all. And he said afterwards that he thought his body composition was about 15% cheese. (laughs) (laughs) And he'd eaten himself to a complete standstill.
1: If you go to Normandy, uh, you better like cheese and butter as well. And probably garlic too. And a whole host of other things. Let's just say you don't go there to go on a diet at all. (laughs) That would be very wrong. And whatever you do, don't forget to pack your stretchy trousers. Very useful. Did you go to uh, the restaurant Merpoulard, Janine?
0: I didn't. um, I'll go back and go there another day.
1: Merpoulard is uh, the most famous restaurant actually on uh, Mont Saint-Michel. And in fact, they are famous for their fluffy omelettes. The cooks there have a secret recipe and they cook the omelettes on an open fire in front of customers. They have done it uh, this way since 1888, 135 years ago. Mère, which means mother, was the name awarded to the first cook, Annette Poulard, who gave her name to the restaurant, which also had lodgings and was very popular with pilgrims. She cooked there for 50 years and she had 700 recipes. So she was given the honorary title Mère, well deserved. It's awarded to a woman chef with special skills who have contributed to French gastronomy. The restaurant became very famous, kings and queens went there, and Janine Marsh as well, and uh, <laughs> presidents, including uh, President Roosevelt and British Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher, many famous artists and celebrities, told you, went there to uh, enjoy uh, omelette, including uh, Claude Monet, Picasso, Marlene Dietrich, uh, Hemingway and uh, Marilyn Monroe. In fact, if you go, you may still spot celebrities. Isn't
0: that incredible to think that Monet mm-hmm. sat there eating an omelette once? I love that. But it- It's not a cheap restaurant, I have to tell you, Uh, for an omelette. I think it's quite expensive, about 40 euros last time I looked. But it is a legendary place and uh, I definitely have to go back. If you do want to go there, uh, I do recommend that you book in advance because the world and his dog wants to go there as well. So what else can you see at the Mont Saint-Michel, Ollie?
1: Uh, you know, for a tiny island, there's a lot to see uh, and do, but let's start at the bottom, in uh, the Grand Rue, the main road of the island, which uh, wins uh, its way around. It looks like something out of a Harry Potter film. There are lots of souvenir shops in uh, medieval buildings, and if you are a fan of uh, Harry Potter, it looks uh, just like you imagine uh, Diagon Alley to look.
0: I totally agree. And you know what? Some people actually moan about these souvenir shops, but I quite like them. And I bought um, a really lovely stone head of a man who needed to go to the dentist and had his mouth open, was going, ah, and holding his face. I've got it on my wall in, in my house. I really love it. And did you know also that the capital city of Minas Tirith in the Lord of the Rings films was inspired by this island? And it also inspired digital worlds in video games like uh, Dracula's Castle in the Castlevania series and also the Tower of Mastery in Pokemon. Oh,
1: I didn't know that, but uh, it's true. It's easy to see why it's so inspirational. There are half-timbered houses of the 15th and 16th centuries. There are several museums and monuments. Archaeoscope is about the construction of uh, the monument and its uh, sacred history. The Museum of History House is a collection of uh, paintings, sculptures and weapons. The Maritime and Ecology Museum is about the tides of Mont Saint-Michel and Tiffen's House which was built in 1365 is now a museum with uh, period furniture, paintings and tapestries as well. There are little winding streets and a maze of narrow passages and uh, staircases that leave you breathless and one part overlooking the sea it's really beautiful you will walk past the rooftops of medieval houses and restaurants with uh, open terraces looking out to sea like uh, the one you stopped at uh, with your dad janine and there are various uh, viewpoints where you can look down uh, over the mudflats about 90 meters below
0: and some people might be listening to this and thinking Looking at mudflats might not be that interesting, right? But they are included in the UNESCO World Heritage Site Listing that Mont Saint-Michel has, and they are a timeless view. It would have looked like this a thousand years ago when the abbey at the top of the island was being built, which brings me nicely to a point where we can talk about the history of the island and the angel with the pointy finger that I mentioned at the start.
1: And it is a very strange history for sure, and it goes back thousands of years. In uh, prehistoric times, the mont was just a little bump on some uh, dry land. Probably prehistoric man would have hunted the uh, woolly mammoth here. Then as uh, the climate changed, sea levels rose and erosion kicked in. Outcrops of rock started to appear. Some were eroded by the tides, but some resisted, and one of them eventually was given the name Mont-Tombe, Some say that it was created by a giant who dropped uh, his shoes on the dry land and they became hills that uh, eventually uh, became islands. Some people believed that the island of Mont-Saint-Michel was a link to uh, another world. Why not? From the start, when it became an island, it always seemed to have um, been special and mysterious. I mean, monks lived here in the 6th century as it was uh, so secluded.
0: I love that link to another world. But actually, the island became really, really special in the year 708, when an angel appeared to the Archbishop of Avranches, which is not very far away from Mont Saint-Michel. He was called Aubert. And it said that the Archangel Michael appeared to him in a dream and told him to build an abbey on Montaume Island, as it was known then. So Aubert, he decided to ignore this vision, but then he had the dream again and he ignored it again. And then again, so three times the Archangel Michael told Ober to build an abbey in his name and three times Ober ignored it. Well, Archangel Michael, he was the leader of God's armies against Satan and he wasn't about to be put off by a procrastinating archbishop. He stuck out his finger and burned a hole in Ober's skull and told him again, build it. Wasn't very nice of him really, was it? But it worked. And Aubert couldn't get on with it quick enough at that point.
1: Yeah, he, he built that IBay I uh, would too if I was him. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: If you go to the Basilica of uh, Saint Gervais of Avranches, uh, there is a relic there, a skull said to be uh, Aubert's with uh, a finger size hole, said to be the scar of the Archangel Michael. It was found on Mont Saint-Michel in the 10th century, and that's how the legend of Aubert began, and the island became Mont Saint-Michel. After it was found, pilgrims flocked to the island, Uh, it was considered a path to paradise, and the island became the second most important pilgrimage site after Santiago de Compostela in Spain. And those souvenir shops you see there, well, there have been souvenir shops since the middle ages, as I was saying before, because uh, the pilgrims loved to buy souvenirs to prove they had been there and as a memento of their long journey. In the old days, reaching the island was uh, an act of penitence, sacrifice and commitment to God. It wasn't an easy journey. Pilgrims walked across the sands and mudflats called it St. Michael in Peril of the Sea because the tides can rush in so fast. It's quite dangerous.
0: Absolutely. And Victor Hugo, again, he's such a prolific writer, but he had such a way with words. He described the tides coming in as swiftly as a galloping horse. Those tides can rise 14 metres from their low water mark. And this stretch of coastline has some of the highest tides in the world. It's just as perilous now to walk there as it was in days of old. And the tides can come in at around a metre a second. So you need to take great care if you walk here. And they also have what's called super tides in this area. And according to National Geographic, these super tides occur about every 19 years. And here's a note for your diary. The next one will be on March the 3rd, 2033.
1: Okay, March the 3rd, 2033. (laughs) Duly noted. But back to the Abbey. The one you see today is not the one built by uh, Aubert. Today's Abbey is uh, newer, not very new though. It was built in the 11th century, more than 1,000 years ago. And here's a couple of fun facts. In the middle of uh, the 11th century, Harold, then Earl of Wessex, later King Harold of England, apparently rescued two Norman knights from the quicksand there. It's depicted in the Bayeux tapestry in the battle scene. The year after William the Conqueror's victory over England in uh, 1066, The monastery of Mont-Saint-Michel gave support to his claim to the English throne. As a reward, William granted the Benedictine monks who lived there land and property on English soil. It included an island off uh, the coast of Cornwall, and an abbey was also built there, known as uh, Saint Michael's Mount, obviously. And it looks uh, a bit like Mont-Saint-Michel from a distance.
0: Over the next few hundred years, Benedictine monks settled in the abbey, and a village started to take shape below its walls. By the 14th century, the monastery, the abbey and the church were completed, just as they appear today. Things were pretty quiet for a while, but then the French Revolution happened.
1: Yes, there's always something happening in France. <laughs> <laughs> the French Revolution saw the overthrow of royal and religious rules. And uh, for a while, Mont Saint-Michel became a prison and a garrison quarters. But uh, it had many famous supporters, such as Victor Hugo, and the campaign for the island to be declared a national treasure. In the 1870s, the prison was closed and the island was declared a historic monument.
0: It's incredible how many monuments became prisons. I think Carcassonne also was a garrison and a prison. All over France, these major monuments in the French Revolution, they became prisons and garrisons. But it's how the abbey survived. It's very different in the abbey from the busy shops and streets below. You reach it via seriously, a chest thumping 350 steps staircase. There is no lift. So it's often a lot less crowded up there than it is in the streets below. When I went, my dad didn't come upstairs with me, by the way. It was me and my husband. We we were walking up and we saw a paramedic sitting on a bench halfway up. Now, I don't know if they're there all the time, but they were certainly there when we were there both times. And we just joked that they were there to help us, you know, make the climb just in case anything went wrong. And then we ran out of breath to joke about it because it's a big old climb. I have to say, if you have a heart condition, which my dad did, don't even try it. When you reach the top, though, it really is worth that challenge. There are enormously thick stone walls, incredibly beautiful arched windows, and you get the most breathtaking panoramic views over what is officially one of the most beautiful bays in the world. And inside the Gothic Abbey, there is a feeling of spirituality and peacefulness and really looks like the cloisters are sort of suspended between heaven and earth. And then right at the top, this gravity divine position is a golden statue of the Archangel Michael, of course. And at its highest point, this abbey is more than 300 feet high. That's twice as high as the Statue of Liberty.
1: Guided tours are available, of course, or you can rent a Nodio guide, or you can get a free leaflet from the ticket counter and walk your own way around. It's all signposted and quite easy to follow. You'll discover ancient crypts, corridors, staircases, and even a huge wheel which was used to hoist food up to the prisoners during the Abbes time as a prison. It's also possible to attend uh, Mass there. It is uh, still a place of pilgrimage and uh, on the Abbey's 1,000th anniversary in 1966, a religious community moved back to the island. Friars and sisters from les Fraternités Monastiques de Jerusalem have for the last few years provided a spiritual presence.
0: I have to say, when it's time to leave, going down the stairs is a lot easier. Now, in the summer months, Mont Saint-Michel does get crowded and it is touristy. So if you want to see it without lots of visitors, go out of the peak season, not in July and August or at night when the coach loads have gone. For me, I think this little island really does live up to the hype. And, you know, I told you how my dad moaned about going there. Well, when we had to leave, he definitely changed his tune. It was a typical June day. It was sunny and rainy. Rains a lot in Normandy huge dark clouds across the sky, then the sun came out. And there was one point where the clouds seemed to part and this beam of sunlight came out and it was like a, an email from heaven. And we went back out through the arch and my dad said, this is one of those places that everyone ought to see before they die.
1: Beautiful Mont Saint-Michel. But now it's time for our listeners' question. In every episode, we'll answer a question sent in to us. It could be about life in France, food or fashion, etc. Got a question about France? Well, ask the experts. We reply to you in each episode. And we do it for free. So, Janine, what have we been asked this week?
0: Today's question is from Brad Pitt. Oh, really? <laughs> Not the Brad Pitt, this is Brad Pitts. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> Brad Pitt lives in New Zealand, although I'm quite sure he must ring up reservations at restaurants and things and people go, oh, Brad Pitt's coming in. And then when he turns up, it's not Brad Pitt. It's Brad Anyway, he asks, I am planning to go to France for the Olympics in 2024 and I will be staying in Paris and I'll only have a day and a half for visits. I want to see three things that you think I must see to get the whole Paris experience. Well, Brad, that is a very tough question. Oli, what would you say to Brad, the three things that are absolute must-sees in Paris?
1: Mm, The first one, of course, is La Tour Eiffel, the Eiffel Tower. She's so Parisian. Night or day, a must-visit, though. I love her best at night when she twinkles at me. And I would say the Cathedral of Notre-Dame, which we are all hoping will be ready for visitors by the time the Olympic Games begin. Fingers crossed. We should do an episode about Notre-Dame, Janine, by the way.
0: Absolutely, yeah, we will do that.
1: And for number three, I would say a museum, maybe the Louvre, the most popular museum in the world, the biggest museum in the world, and beyond because if aliens do come to earth they will definitely want to go to this museum i'm convinced
0: great choices and i was going to ignore that bit about aliens but if you're just tuning into this podcast for the first time then i will explain that ollie is convinced that extraterrestrials will join the rest of us earthlings in making france the most visited country in the world and beyond including the universe that's true <laughs> I'm not going there. Uh, Okay. For my three choices, and I love your choices, Ollie, and I totally agree with you. So I will go for three lesser known places that you can fit in around Ollie's choices. So when you go to Notre Dame, add on a visit to Saint-Chapelle, which is an absolute jewel of a church with the most incredible stained glass windows. And it's older than Notre Dame. And it's now a fabulous venue for evening performances of classical music. If you go in there during the day and the sun is shining through those windows, it honestly feels like you're standing in a a giant jewel box. It's quite stunning. And when you go to the Louvre, if you're a museum fan, I would cross over the river and pop into the Musée d'Orsay, which is a fabulous museum in a former train station. Quite a different experience from the enormous Louvre, which is a former royal palace. Orsay is full of French art, the same, but it's very specific. Paintings, furniture, mainly from 1848 to 1914. So Impressionist, Belle Epoque, Art Nouveau, and it has a lovely restaurant. So it's a great place to stop for lunch there, but book in advance. And finally, I would say when you head to the Eiffel Tower, take a boat ride on the River Seine. The boat key is at the base of the tower, so you can find it very easily. And from a boat, you will get to see the sights from the water and a totally different perspective. And you'll see so much in a really, really short time. Now, for anyone wanting Paris content, I'm going to be doing quite a lot on my website, which is thegoodliferance.com and in our free magazine. Over the next few months, because we know that apparently there are a million people expected to visit Paris during the Olympics next year. So we're going to do a ton of Paris stuff coming up here. On the website and on the magazine, which is completely free, and you can find it at magazine.thegoodlifefrance.com. So, watch this space.
1: Thanks so much for this question, Mr. Brad Pitts. And please, if you are still in contact with um, Jennifer Aniston's and uh, Angelina Jolie's, say hello to them uh, for me. (laughs) (laughs) If you also have a question for us, feel free to send it to Janine at thegoodlifefrance.com, Janine at thegoodlifefrance.com, or via our podcast newsletter. This is the Good Life France podcast. Oh la la, le podcast The Good Life France. Thank you very much for listening to our podcast. We love chatting to you every two weeks here and it's great to see all your support on the Good Life France Facebook page, for instance. I had a lot of fun the other day replying to your comments there. So please carry on sharing our podcast so it can grow and reach all the French fans in the world and potentially beyond. You've been listening, sorry, to Janine March and me, Olivier Geoffrey. You can find me at parichanson.fr
0: And you can find me and heaps of information about France, where to visit, culture, history, recipes, everything France at thegoodlifefrance.com where you can subscribe to the podcast, my weekly newsletter about France and our totally brilliant, totally free magazine. But for now, it's au revoir from me.
1: And goodbye from me. Speak to you soon. The Good Life France podcast. Available on all podcast platforms. On thegoodlifefrance.com and on parischanson.fr. The most beautiful French songs of the 40s, 50s and 60s, only on Paris Chanson. Available on your mobile, smart TV, computer and smart speaker 24/7. Visit parischanson.fr to find out more. That's P-A-R-I-S-C-H-A-N-S-O-N dot F-R.